This is the last Sunday ever of 2015. And we are glad that you're spending it with us here this morning. My name's Rob. I have the privilege of opening God's word with you today. Um, if you need a Bible, there'll be men coming down the aisles to give you Bibles. Also, don't uh, forget, it is almost 2016. You can simply download the app on your phone uh, at your convenience if you'd like. Uh, this morning, as we're getting our Bibles, we're going to turn to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. Uh, we're going to have some fun this morning. First service went well, but I, I think this service is going to be even better. What do you think? There we go. All right. There we go. There we go. I, I'm excited. I'm encouraged by that. I'm encouraged by that. Also, I, I heard somebody clap over here. I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, oxymorons. Uh, oxymorons. You know, when two words go together that you know, typically wouldn't go together, like silent scream. Uh, I have a few more for us. Act naturally. That's a good one. Um, jumbo shrimp. I'm getting hungry already. Airline food. <laughs> Quiet roar. Uh, any any uh, Apple fanboys in the room or fangirls for that matter? Have an iPhone, you like Macs, all that. Here's a good one for you. Um, Microsoft works. Oh. You know, my favorite part about that joke is our lead pastor, Craig, loves Microsoft. So anytime I can take a jab at Microsoft and he's in the room, it always makes it better. I'm going to add another oxymoron to our conversation this morning, cliff jumping. Those should certainly never go together. Has anyone ever been cliff jumping before? I had the unfortunate privilege to go cliff jumping. Uh, a couple of years ago, we were at a camp, um, and just in case, uh, just let me set this scene. I'm, I'm, I'm indoorsy. I like air conditioning and heat. I like decorating and baking. Uh, I was born in the malls of America. I like to shop. Don't judge me. I don't like going outside. Okay? But, uh, so we, we were at camp, and the camp pastor was, was coming towards me. And he is, he is an Adonis of a man. He's very, very tall. He's very chiseled. Um, I, I feel like he like bites deer in half with his mouth. He is, he is an intense dude. I guess you have to be to work with teenagers all the time uh, in that context. But he comes up to me and he says, hey. Hey. Let's go cliff jumping. No. <laughs> Let's not do that. Ever. Unfortunately, some students overheard the conversation. They were like, yeah. Let's go, Rob. And of course, I'm having to keep up appearances. I'm, I say, yes, of course. Let's go cliff jumping. Can we go right now? Oh, please. Fortunately, we couldn't go right there. I said, okay, great. They'll forget. And, you know, the whole cliff jumping thing will just kind of glaze right over that. Well, unfortunately, they didn't forget. And neither did the camp pastor. He came to us a couple of days later and said, hey, let's go cliff jumping this afternoon, 2 o'clock, meet. We go. So we load up in a van, we took our student leadership team. So we took about 12 students, got in a van, drove out to uh, this like marina deal, got on a boat, drove out this boat, um, and we kind of park in this big opening, park the boat in this big opening, and there's this cliff. And I'm like, ha, is that it? That's nothing. How do we get up to the top? I'm thinking, you know, there's stairs or maybe like a hidden escalator in the woods. I, you know, I don't know, I don't know how we were getting up there. 
And he's like, well, we gotta jump in, swim to the shore, and climb the rock face and get to the top. <laughs> I must have misheard you. Can you tell me how we're getting up there uh, again? Because what I think you said is we got to swim to shore, climb the rock face, and jump. Yeah, that's what I said. Oh, okay, yeah, of course. That's why would we not want to do that? Lynn, don't be alarmed. This was not at this church, so the liability was free and clear. Don't worry. Although I'm sure no church's liability insurance would cover this situation. So um, all the kids are jazzed. Everyone jumps in. We swim to the shore, and we're, we literally, someone has graciously left a rope for people dumb enough to do this. So we, we, you know, our hands are on the ropes, and our feet are on the, on the wall, and we're scaling this wall. All I could think about was if their parents were only here, none of these kids would be doing this. So we get to the top, and if you've ever been cliff jumping or been around heights at all, um, you know, you see a cliff from like the boat or the ground, and it's like, meh, I got it. You get to the edge, and it might as well be an unending abyss. If the cliff was 40 feet, which it was probably, it was probably about 40 feet, which is a good jump, but... I mean, it felt like a thousand feet. And I, and I get to the edge, and I'm like, all right, who's ready? Who's going for, somebody else is going first. I'm, I'm not dying. So one of the kids just runs off, just jumps, lands, he's fine. So I'm like, all right, well, if he can do it, I'm gonna do it, get this over with. So I run off, jump, land. It was pretty exhilarating and fun there for a moment. So then I swim over to the boat. I'm like, well, I did my cliff jumping. I'm going to chill in the boat the rest of the time. And we'll let these clowns keep jumping and do their thing. So they're jumping, jumping, jumping. Uh, one girl will not jump. She just won't jump. She's just standing at the top. So we're counting on like three, two, one, jump. Some of the kids start making fun of her. I say, stop. Don't make fun of her. Jump now, jump. She won't jump, so I have to go back up. So I go, I climb back up. Hey, sweetheart, you okay? You need to jump. No, I want to climb back down. No, you're not doing that. To climb back down would have been exponentially more dangerous than just jumping off. I don't even know it was physically possible to climb back down that, that rope situation, that rock situation deal. But I was like, you're not doing that. You just gotta jump. We can get all your friends back up here. We can all hold hands and have like a big jump party. Whatever it takes, you gotta jump. Otherwise, you're gonna live on this cliff the rest of your life. Because <laughs> I'm jumping. So we finally, she finally jumps. But she wanted to go back down. She wanted to go back down the way she came. Even though it was more dangerous, she wanted to go down what was familiar, right? She had an idea of what it would be like to, to go back down because she'd come up that way. To go back down, she at least knew what to expect or how to manage that, right? Uh, instead of just taking the leap and going all in and jumping. Finally, she does jump, and when you know, that girl came and jumped over and over and over and over. She did it like 10 times. <clears throat> Cliff jumping. I would submit to you another uh, oxymoron this morning that has to do with this idea of just jumping in, going all in. Comfortable Christian. Comfortable Christian. I think in our text this morning, we'll see what Jesus says about going all in. 
uh, diving into your faith, being all in and comfort in Christianity. Let's read uh, from Mark chapter eight. We're begin in verse 27. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. All right, Paul's right there. Peter has this great moment, right? Like, you're the Messiah. Ding, 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 ding. Oh, I guess that empowered him then to go and rebuke Jesus. That would be a bold move, a poor decision at best. Verse 33. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have the things... You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Doesn't sound very comfortable. Verse 35, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever wants to lose his life for me and for the gospel, I uh, will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with all the holy angels. Comfortable Christianity. You could call it maybe Americanized Christianity or the white picket fence Christianity. Three times in the book of Mark, Jesus tells his disciples, hey, look, I have to die. I have to suffer. I will rise again in three days. But there is a significant hurdle to overcome, suffering and death. All three times, they don't get it. And Peter, in this scenario, is, is trying to rebuke Jesus in light of that. I would submit to you today that we, too, don't fully understand, at times, the gospel. We, we tend to struggle with this idea I call shadow faith, where we, we, we know what God's word says, but somehow we've created these expectations in our minds of who God should be. Even in this situation, in this story, Peter, Peter's saying, hey, look, you're the Messiah, and then he's saying, no, 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 you, you, you can't do all those things. You can't die. You can't, you can't do any of those things. It's because Peter had an understanding. He knew there was a Messiah, a foretold Messiah that would come conquer, liberate Israel, right? Be this, this conquering king, but he, he didn't understand or he didn't know that this same conquering king, this liberator, this savior or Messiah would also be the one suffering and, and denying himself and and having to go through these, these trials, even unto the point of death, and then raise again three days later. Peter, Peter took the filter that he thought what the Messiah should be and tried to place that framework on Jesus. Too often in our society, we struggle with that. We take a cultural framework and try to place it on the gospel. We try to place it on 
what we think the gospel is or isn't or who Jesus should or shouldn't be. And that, that, that is shadow faith. It wasn't too long ago I was in Florida and I was at a baptism service, which those are always fun. And at this baptism service, uh, there's a bunch of people getting baptized, but five of them were young adults, so between the ages of 25 and 35. Uh, all of them had a story very, very similar to this. I grew up in church, I went to Sunday school, did youth camp, you know, yeah, 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 did all those things, but I never fully understood the gospel until now. Huh. That got me thinking. Uh, my child will most likely, spoiler alert, grow up in church. Um, how do I prevent that being the case for my own child or the students that I have the privilege to lead or the people that I have the opportunity to impact around me? How, how, how is it that there is such an epidemic in our country of people who are raised in the church, grown up in understanding Jesus or, or, or told about Jesus, yet they get to a point in their life where they're like, oh, well, I didn't fully understand it, so now I do. I think it's because of shadow faith. People are shortchanged with the gospel. It becomes this transactional thing where we recognize sin and then we need this savior. And then that's all it is. Okay, it's an exchange of my sin for his righteousness. And yes, it is that, but so much more. But when we only preach that point of the gospel, it's not worth following. Because that's, if it's only just that, that sin and forgiveness, sin and forgiveness, sin and forgiveness, that's going to lead to shadow faith and shadows don't ever truly show the real picture. We don't ever get to see the fullness of Christ if we're just shortchanged with the gospel. Uh, join with me, look at this picture of a shadow on the screen. What do you think that is? You can shout it out, especially the kids. A cat, okay, a cat. A cow. Batman, yes. Who else, or what else, anything else? A dog, oh, okay, let's see what it is, let's see what it is. Boom, it is a cute little pup. How is it that puppies always get that reaction no matter who you're talking to or when? You show a picture of a puppy, oh. How, if you thought it was a cat, just, just show your hands, I just would love to see. Are you mad that it wasn't a cat? You know, cats are the worst, right? That's, I didn't even mean to preach about that, that's just for free, you can just, I would definitely take a note though. <clears throat> just kidding, just kidding. We like all cat people and dog people. Jesus doesn't make any delineation. Okay. Shadow faith. Shadows only, shadows only show us fractions of the, the image or the fullness of Christ. Because we somehow bought into this idea that, uh, that, that, that God can be added to our lives. <laughs> it makes me laugh. We get, we get bought into this idea that, that we, can, we can add God into our agenda, when in reality, it's a total and complete surrender of ourselves for him to take and reorient however he chooses. See, today, as we talk about shadow faith, I have three questions I just want to challenge you with. You know, we're at the end of another year. Undoubtedly, you will probably be asking yourself some questions about New Year's resolutions and all of that. How do you be a better you in 2016? I would challenge you. How do you better understand the gospel in 2016? How do you more fully 
understand the gospel, your relationship with Christ, and your role in that in 2016. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for a week or you've been going to Central for the better part of a century. It doesn't, we all can better understand the gospel. We all had better continue to better understand the gospel. And this morning, I just want to ask ourselves two questions, kind of an, inper, an introspective litmus test, so to speak, of where are you in your own journey? Where are you in your own understanding of the gospel? Where is there shadow faith in your life? And where do you need to get redirect away from the shadow and back on the king? So the first question. Do you follow Jesus to get from Jesus or do you follow Jesus to get Jesus? Do you follow Jesus to get from Jesus or do you follow Jesus to get Jesus? Somehow in our culture, American culture, we, we have begun to treat God like this, this, this cosmic vending machine where we come to him, pray for something, hit like E4 and blessings pop out the bottom and we open them up. Or that the God is some... some some divine genie who, who, who will answer our, our wishes and whims. And when he doesn't, we get mad. <laughs> There's some type of entitlement or broken entitlement in that. We think that, uh, that, that we, can, we can go and ask and, and, and take from God and, 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 and just build this idea that he, we're taking from him, taking from him, taking from him. And if he doesn't bless us, there's gonna be a problem. I think it actually has a lot to do with the, the, this uh, prosperity gospel that's sweeping across our nation. It's been around for a while, but it is taking a deep root in the culture of America right now. In short, it is this idea that if you have enough faith or you put seed money in or you, you, you do these things in such a way that if you plant this down, God will bless you back tenfold, or if you, he will, the harvest will be greater, that, that, that if you have enough faith or give enough money, he will give it back to you in, in greater ways. Let me just read verse 34, and you tell me if this is what Jesus is saying, that prosperity gospel is the way. Um, verse 34, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Do you know what the true prosperity gospel is? Knowing Jesus. It's not going, this idea that, that, that you can come to God, add him into your life, and then he becomes this, this great super life coach. That's, a, that's shadow of faith. And you know where that leads to? Discontentment and brokenness because that's not the gospel. So then people get to this point where they're, they're like, huh, well, God's not doing for me what I thought he would be doing. God's not treating me the way I thought he should treat me. This is not the way I thought this would go. And then they say, huh, well, I'm, I'm out. Because inevitably, when you're going to get to a point, maybe you've already been there, maybe you'll be there again, I don't know. But you will, you will be confronted in your journey with Christ to, at a point where you'll have to say, why then am I in this? Why am I following Christ? Because really, if you want an easy life, if you want to do what you want to do, don't follow Christ. That's not what his, his word says. You will have to surrender yourself to his call. But if you want to, if you want to do you, <laughs> then go do you. Just leave Jesus out of it because that's not the gospel. You're going to, 
When you shortchange the gospel, when you have shadow faith, that's going to lead to shadow joy. Because this, this, if you have this, this short-sighted understanding of the gospel that God should be doing for you, when he doesn't, it's going to get very, very difficult. How about when uh, the, the cancer doesn't go into remission? Or, or the divorce does happen? Or that wayward son doesn't come home? Those are the moments uh, that, that God is going to have to be all that you are satisfied in because if God never was the ultimate goal, whatever you get from God will never satisfy you. Let me say it again. If, if God was never your ultimate goal, to know him, to, to experience him, to understand his fullness and greatness, if that was never the goal, whatever you may or may not get from him will never satisfy. It will always lead to emptiness. You guys are already more lively in the first hour. They couldn't clap. I don't know what they were doing. Maybe they're sitting on their hands. You know, a lot of times people say, well, God should fix my pain or, or, or make me feel better. God didn't come to fix your pain. He came to redeem you. And in that, he'll redeem your pain. He'll redeem your brokenness. Th th there isn't a version of Christianity where you're adding God into your life and punching the buttons for what you want from God. There's only the full surrender Christianity. There's that's, that's only the I'm going to jump off the cliff and dive in completely Christianity. I mean, you, you know, Revelation's lukewarm and there's all kinds of allusions in the gospels to this idea of, of, of having full faith. Then if we know that, how are we getting so misguided in our understanding of the gospel. Shadow faith leads to shadow joy. It's not God's fault. I can't tell you how many conversations I have with people when they say things like, well, I can't believe God did this to me. <laughs> we got a long conversation ahead of us. No, 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 no. God didn't meet what you thought he should do or, or, or the expectations that you placed on him. Just like Peter in the text, he had an idea of what the Messiah should be. That's not what Jesus was. Jesus came to be who Jesus came to be. We orient ourselves to him, not the other way around. There's got to be a reclaiming of the understanding of the gospel in this next generation. I mean, this is fun family Sunday, right? And I'm glad that we have all the kids here. It was great. We're going to lose all those kids if we keep telling them this abbreviated, truncated understanding of the gospel. God doesn't call you and, and save you and sanctify you to put you on a shelf. He calls you, he sanctifies you, he develops you to put you on mission. And in that mission, we find joy. How divine is that? It's not that we have to then go do these things and begrudgingly and, and it's and it might be difficult. It might be frustrating. It might be hard. Oh. But in that, we find true joy because we know we're not shortchanging ourselves with the gospel. We're understanding the true nature of God came to, to have a relationship with us and we get to partner with him. That's where true joy lies. Which leads me to question number two. I would ask yourself this. Do you think more about comfort or calling? 
Do you think more about comfort or calling? Recently, I was having a conversation with um, someone in this church, probably a man in his late 40s, and we were having a great conversation, and he asked me, Rob, how do Christians my age keep growing? How do Christians my age keep growing? And at the time, I didn't have an answer. I, I didn't know. I, I didn't, I didn't, you know, he's, he's, he goes on mission trips. He gives faithfully. You know, he's a Sunday school teacher and reads his Bible, has a great family. Uh, you know, all those spiritual things, right? He reads Christian books. But now I have an answer. I didn't have an answer then, I have an answer now. Fight comfort at every turn. I don't think there is more of an obstruction to us embracing our calling than comfort. I don't think that there's something that derails us from the mission that God's called us to than the comforts this world has to offer which in those comforts are just shadow comforts. God is going to give you comfort, but the eternal comfort, not temporal and worldly comfort, spiritual, eternal comfort. You've heard many times before, I'm not the first person to say this, but eternity proves that the suffering we experience now was worth it. God has comfort for us, but not this temporal, shallow, shadow kind but a lasting comfort found in our calling. Found in our calling. Look at uh, verse 36. Jesus says this, what good is it for someone to gain the world yet forfeit their soul? Jesus isn't, I wrote this, Jesus isn't an addition to your life, he's the recreation and reorientation of your existence. Jesus saved us through sacrifice and brokenness. What makes us think it will be any different on our journeys? A couple of years ago, I had the privilege to go on a mission trip with my wife. And we went to a place called Pritchard, Alabama. It's right outside of Mobile. This place is the most defeated place I think I've ever been. And I've been to Africa and Indonesia and Cambodia, but this place is, the sense of hopelessness is like palpable. It's a small community right outside of Mobile. This, this, this area, they've put up blockades around it so you can only, there's only one way in and one way out of Pritchard. In this community, 34% of them don't have running water or electricity. Kids live in homes with holes in the roofs. Buyers run rampant. Grass is overgrown. It is like the place that time has forgotten. And these two people, John and Dolores Eads, <laughs> the quirkiest, I say this with love, the quirkiest, most white people you could ever imagine are in this community, and they have a ministry called, very, very appropriately, Light of the Village. And they do vacation Bible schools for kids and after school care and on the job training and GED training. And, and they are just, they're there. It's like four or five trailers that they've just put together. And, and they, they serve 
that community. They are the, the, uh, they are the best representation of the hands and feet of Jesus I've ever seen. It is remarkable. He, John is like cross-eyed. He used to be the president of a, or a, 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 a where do you go to get help? Hospital, thank you. Um, <laughs> he was the hospital administrator. He left that job to go do this. And he is, I mean, you would not think he could lead a ministry to save his life, but he is in there serving his heart out and God is blessing them. One day, my wife, you know, we, we were there with a bunch of students. One day we're there and um, we're on different sites doing different like vacation Bible schools like around that community and I happened to be apart from my wife that day and she was on like a jungle gym playing with a, f- a four-year-old girl. We're gonna call her Emily. They were playing and running around and sliding down, just having fun, just, just sharing joy. And a man gets out of the car and begins to walk towards them and he just says, Emily. And the girl just stops, stands straight up, begins to cry and the risk of sounding crass loses control of her bodily functions and is just gripped in fear. Shaking. My wife later told me, I didn't know how I was gonna do it, but that man was not taking that girl. That's what's at stake. That's what's at stake when we choose comfort over calling. If we don't do it, who will? Holland is no different. People have needs here. There's brokenness here. We are called to be the hands and feet of Jesus here, now. If you're not going to do it and I'm not going to do it, who is going to do it? I don't care if there's 100 churches within one square mile. We have to be on mission for Jesus. That girl, thankfully, another pastor who was there stepped in front of the man and said, hey, how can I help you? And he was able to divert that conversation and the girl went home with the mom and for that day, she was safe. That every night in the mission trip, we would have debrief conversations about what happened that day or what God did or what we saw or what we experienced and obviously that, this, this story was at the highlight of, of that conversation that night. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Comfort gets in the way of that a lot. We get used to things. We like things and comforts and the modern comforts of our society. But lives are at stake. Eternities are at stake. Where are you in your journey There's a story about a man named Count Zinzendorf. Unfortunate name, but a great guy. Um, he was a count. He grew up. Uh, he, he, was, he embraced the gospel as a young boy. He had to go be a count. But what he did was he bought a big piece of property and began to just minister to people on the property. Very, very long story short, they became what's known as the Morovians. They were the first organization to ever send international missionaries. They predated William Carey, the father of modern missions, by some 60 years. Zinzendorf uh, gave his life to the cause of the gospel. And he had, uh, I, I heard this quote years ago, and it, 
It has had a profound impact on me, on my family, the way I view what God's called me to do, and it's three simple things. Preach the gospel, die, be forgotten. Preach the gospel, die, be forgotten. Ironically, he will not be forgotten because he made this quote, but you get the idea. We're called to surrender our everything to the cause of Christ. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you know his story. He says the call to be a Christian is the call to come and die. You're not adding God into your agenda. You're upending your life and surrendering to his call. So which is it for you, comfort or calling? And where in your life I would... I, I would I would be hard-pressed to say that not one of us, all of us, struggle with this in some area of our lives where we choose comfort over calling. That's shadow faith. That's temporal joy. Final question. Does your obedience have limits? Does your obedience have limits? Salvation is free, but following Jesus will cost you everything. Surely, when Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me, surely those hearers would have known what the cross represented, this, this Roman tortured, torturous death tool. The, it was, Jesus wasn't inviting them on a stroll through the park to watch leaves fall. He was saying, look, it's going to be a difficult road. If you are going to be one of my disciples, this is what it costs, everything. And before you say, well, I'm a Christian, not a disciple, then you, then you don't get it. To be a Christian, to be a Christ follower is to be a disciple of Christ. There's no difference. There's not a, I'm a Christian, not a disciple. Then you're not a Christian at all. In my own journey, my wife and I saw some shadow faith in our lives recently. We moved to Holland last October. So October of 2014. Let's hear it for this winter over last winter. Good gracious. We came to Holland and began to adjust to Holland life. We moved from Tampa, a very different city than Holland. And a few months in, we got to the very real understanding that we did not like Holland. Shocking, I know. We struggled to adjust, we struggled to fit in, we struggled to understand why God brought us here. And I, I, looking back, I think it had a lot to do with, you know, I, in Tampa there was so much front lines ministry, so to speak. Like, you know, what we would be telling students about Jesus who never heard of Jesus. Hey, I want to talk to you about Jesus. Who? From the Bible. The what? Just a completely different culture than here. And, and I was, a, there was some indignation in my spirit. God, why would you bring me here? I don't need to be here. That, that there is, what, what, what is it that you've brought me here to do? This past fall, I had the privilege to go on another mission trip. God speaks, him, speaks to me on mission trips, and I, I heard it as plain as I'm talking to you. 
oh, Holland wasn't what you thought it would be? Oh, then by all means, I got it wrong. Oh, it wasn't as easy as you had anticipated? Oh, then yes, you should leave. Oh, Holland isn't meeting your expectations? Then yes, by all means, move to another church. It's been hard to adjust to Holland, I'll be honest. And I wish I could stand up here and tell you, I love Holland. I don't. I like Holland. But you know what I've come to love? That there is no doubt in my mind or in my spirit or in the, doubt or in the, the mind or spirit of my wife that we are right in the middle of where God has called us to be. It's not comfortable being in Holland. We're far from our families. I've had, a, I've had a difficult year of learning and growth. You know what? I needed it. If we're not failing, we're not growing. If it's too easy, then we're not gonna be dependent. I needed that. So in a way, I do love Holland because God is, this has become a training ground to, to equip me to continue to serve the calling of Christ. And I, I would submit to you where in your lives are you fighting that? Because I would say it's probably the exact opposite for some of you. You love Holland so much you couldn't imagine leaving. Maybe that's exactly what God's calling you to do. Or you're so comfortable in your nine to five and that paycheck, you couldn't imagine a life transition that would lead to something different or the unknown. You'd rather climb back down the rock face than jump all into the calling that God has placed on your life. Friends, it's been a difficult year, but it's been a year full of joy. It's been a year full of trial and frustration and difficulty. But it's been in that refiner's fire. So I ask you again, where are you settling for the shadows of faith and not orienting towards the substance of King Jesus? 2016 is just a few days away. Forget those resolutions. Understand the gospel more fully in 2016. Embrace your calling in 2016. Submit to Jesus in 2016. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are the God of second chances and healing and forgiveness and that you invite us into relationship with you and to partner with you in the work of the gospel. God, I stand with great anticipation in 2016 to see what you're going to do in this church and in this community. God, to see how you will what will happen here and around us, God, as you move and as people fully understand the gospel more and they surrender to you, God, because what's at stake is lives. But God, I pray very, very specifically for, for individuals in this room right now. God, I do pray for conviction. God, I pray for self-introspection. God, I pray for wrecked hearts because we've been living too much for comfort and not enough for calling. 
God, I pray that when the people, when we all leave this place today, God, that we, we will leave different, more challenged with an expanded worldview, a heavier understanding of the gospel. Whatever your spirit does, God, I pray that we leave different than when we came in. God, heal us. Save us from ourselves. Help us to deny ourselves. Take up our cross and follow you. Thank you for your blessings in 2015. Thank you for the year we've had, good and bad. We pray for next year, God, to be a year, a banner year of understanding the gospel. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. This... uh, This morning, uh, if you need prayer, there'll be people down here. If you'd like to talk to one of us, we'll be down here. Um, We pray it's been an encouraging day for you. And guess what? We'll see you next year.